state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Now it's an empty set. Throw it back to Cephas Johnson. Gets hit. Balls loose at the goal line. Picked up. Grabbed by the Huskers. Touchdown, Nebraska. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Ben McLaughlin and Nate Rohr. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hopefully you all had a wonderful Tuesday. Good start to your week. Oscar football back for you here this weekend as they take on Indiana. Looking forward to the Huskers getting back out there on the field after a bye week a week ago. Welcome to Sports Nightly on a Tuesday. I'm Ben McLaughlin joined by Nate Rohr. Got a lot coming your way here on the program tonight. Here coming up this hour, Husker football practice report. Nate was over at Husker football practice earlier today. It was defense day. Defensive coordinator Eric Shenander meeting with members of the media following the workout today for the Big Red. We'll go through what he had to say and, of course, how they bounce back after Minnesota and the bye week, what they need to improve on uh, moving forward with this last home stretch of games. Coming up in hour number two of the show, it's our Nebraska Volleyball Radio Hour as Lauren Cook-West will be in studio with head volleyball coach John Cook from 7 to 8 o'clock, taking your questions and calls here on the Husker Sports Network. So we will talk some volleyball for an hour here on the program. And in hour three of the show, Top 10 Tuesday coming your way. We will dive into NBA topic relative to some specific players as the NBA gets underway tonight, as does the World Series, as Tim told you here uh, in our ticker to start the show. And Brett Maher, Dallas Cowboys kicker, uh, who has a record. He is 3-for-3 three three on 60-plus-yard field goals and kicked a 63-yarder for Dallas uh, last week, last Sunday night. Well, uh, Nate had a chance to talk with him earlier today. We'll hear that conversation tonight as well. Of course, taking your calls, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371, the number to get in to the show tonight that's our woodhouse auto family hotline bringing you more choices and brands locations and service experience the difference purchase with confidence this is woodhouse nate you looked refreshed you looked like you got a pep in your step the bye week did wonders for you i have to imagine you're just chomping at the bit to to attack another game week let's go let's get after it right now let's get some game notes let's get some cliches from practice i'm fired up let's get after it. how was your bye week? like to me it was just a weird feeling you know, having a, a whole extra day. It was just quieter. Um, and my uh, wonderful wife, Ellie, uh, had a few activities for us for Saturday. That's the thing. It's like it, you and I are basically on the same schedule, right? And you even work some basketball. But football season, our Saturdays are booked except the buys. And then it gets quiet December, January, and February, except when you roll with basketball. But then early February, it starts with baseball and softball. So it's weird for me to be home on a weekend, let alone a fall weekend. Uh, but hit a pumpkin patch, spent some time with the fam. Uh, we worked on some projects around home. Got a new car from the good folks at Beardmore Subaru. Nice. So yeah, life is good. Does Bobby have his costume yet? He his does. His first costume? Yes, are you, is are you is is it sharing mode or is this is it a surprise? I, I think we can share it. He's going to be a lion. Makes sense. Yes. Yeah. I, was this was it premeditated that it was going to be a lion or did he kind of was it is a coincidence? No, it's totally premeditated. Okay. He 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 has several lion toys 
to remind him of his last name. <laughs> so yes, he, he's going to be a lion. Ellie's been in quest of a, a adult-sized uh, lion costume, which, yikes. I'm, I'm sure the internet will do wonders for it, that. It's out there. Yeah. It, it's out there. I don't know if Ellie wants to drop the money, but oh, true. It, it, it's out there. Yeah, you just, you just got to go for it. Yes. Uh, so good. Baby Bobby has his car. Are you like a Halloween guy? Like, do you get into Halloween at all? No. Like the scary movies and skip the... it. I, you know, other than a bunch of Reese's peanut cups, peanut butter cups, no thanks. And the excuse to eat them because it's Halloween. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the bulk candy was is a good thing which I enjoy, but not a big costume guy. Don't like scary movies. You know, life's scary enough. <laughs> but how was your bye week? It was pretty uneventful yeah. to be honest with you uh clean my garage uh we went to a, a, a bonfire um hopefully not in your garage not in my garage although might have been easier cleaning it <laughs> uh, yeah it was it was pretty chill and, and it was nice sitting on a chair uh-huh watch, like because i do that and watch nfl you know every sunday but to to be able to just watch college football as a fan was exhilarating it, you it, know it's the one thing i miss about my pre-work experience, right? Because when I was a kid, middle school, high school, whatever, you would get up, you'd watch college game day, you'd watch an 11 a.m. game, you figure the Huskers kick at 2.30, so you flip over to that, you know, and you mute the TV partway through to listen to the pregame coverage, of course. Mm -hmm. But you got a more full picture of what was going on in college football. When we're out covering games, it's really tough. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched a good chunk of Iowa-Purdue. I watched uh, the end of Wisconsin-Illinois. I watched a good chunk of Penn State-Michigan. And, you know, that's the most extended look I've gotten at a couple of those teams. And so the one thing I miss is the ability to watch a lot of other live, games. Live yes. games instead of just scores and stats. That, yes. That, that, that was really nice. Well, I'm kind of curious to know kind of where you're at right now. I mean, it's it's pretty much the halfway point. I know we're a game past halfway, but I think if 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 before the year I kind of told you this is where Nebraska's off, and I want to focus on the offense here. Okay. I, I think if if I told you before the year this would be the status of the offense, I don't know that you necessarily would have believed me. No. Um, and then you throw in the injury aspect. Uh Let's just start. Let's start the conversation with how you would evaluate them to this point, based on everything: personnel, quarterback play, and and ultimately, you know, to me, which is the biggest point, is what Scott Frost wants this offense to look like. Yeah, I think the marks would be pretty rough. I, you know, if you're putting a grade on it, I'm not so sure it wouldn't be a D plus, something like that, because. It's been rare that we've felt a consistency on this offense and in either end. either Starting on or, game one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, game one against a South Alabama team that, that didn't frighten anybody, this offense didn't do much. And, and I think we all attributed that to the snap problems and, and the fact that Cam Jurgens was a little erratic with those, especially in the first half as he worked his way back and then they went to Farniak for the second half. But the offense has just never felt right. It's never felt like there's been a rhythm. It's never felt like they've had anything they can trust. 
and, and you can get really granular. I mean, the snaps are getting better. Jurgens is getting better. And once the ball is snapped, he's one of Nebraska's best linemen. But, you know, as a center, that's your job to make sure that ball gets snapped to the quarterback in a way that he can do something with it. Um, Maurice Washington, even before the news of Monday, had been a disappointment. I thought he'd be able to stay to step right in as Nebraska's lead running back and be productive and and consistent. And some of that goes on the Lions tab, but some of that goes on his too. Uh, so you, you don't feel like the running backs have been terribly productive. Diedrich Mills, I think they're still trying to figure out how to use him. J.D. Spielman's been J.D. Spielman, and Wandale Robinson's met expectations, which were plenty high. Yes. But after that, that wide receiver room's not been good. And, you know, as far as the tight ends, Jack Stoll, you feel like they could get more out of him. You wonder if it's a read issue versus him not doing his job. I think the line's been a little disappointing. So it's just been all the way around a, a step or two, and in the wide receiver's case, four from what I thought it would be at this point. I went back and one thing I did during the the week off, spent some of the week last week going back and watching some UCF tape from Scott's last year there, the undefeated season. And watching that offense work was, Mm -hmm. it was just a thing of beauty. You know, it wasn't necessarily just one player either. They had, you could tell whatever they wanted to do, they could do. And it just looked different than what we're seeing. Now we're, completely speculating now but if you had to guess like is it just a personnel thing that that is that is keeping nebraska's offense from looking like that or has this has this off does this defensive staff wanted to look different than that team i think it's mostly a personnel thing i i think there's a little desire to look different Especially, and maybe it's in view of the personnel deficiencies that exist with this team. I think it's mostly a personnel issue and not being able to develop outside receivers. This, you know, this program, this offense has been able to put out their two pretty good slot receivers in Spielman and, and Robinson, but nobody has developed on the outside. And now it, it's been two years. And or at least a year and a half. And, and so it, it would be one thing if we were jumping to this conclusion at this point last year. But, you know, they've had a, a, a year really to develop that next guy. Of course, last year, Stanley Morgan's presence really erased some of that and really taxed defenses because you had two really high caliber wide receivers that you had to cover. And so that opened some things up for Warner and for the rest of of the receiving core. Now, especially depending on what's going on with Wandale Robinson, you got to deal with one receiver. You take away Spielman. And if Mike Williams beats you, if Jerron Woodyard beats you, you tip your hat, but you feel like this is a really easy team to defend right now. The the, the question that that I would that I would have is, and Coach Frost kind of addressed this at his press conference yesterday about tempo and how much they think about it. If they were able to, let's just let's just assume Nebraska's at full strength at receiver, meaning J.D. Spielman's healthy, Wandale's healthy, mm-hmm. and Noah's at least contributing in some aspect. Do you think it would be a situation where 
if Nebraska's if the only thing holding them back was their running game if they could run the ball how they wanted to I'm, I'm wondering if not only the tempo would pick up yeah meaning run as go as fast as you want to go but would it start to look more like UCF if just the running game was there at all no that's true I mean I I've put a lot of bill on the wide receivers but it's not like Maurice Washington was gashing defenses and you know Diedrich Mills you wonder how good a fit he really is in this offense he's looked at his best running from behind the quarterback running downhill basically as a fullback like he did at Georgia Tech and that that was where he was at his best and so you wonder if that's an adjustment this coaching staff's going to make it'll be it'll be interesting to see this offensive game plan against Indiana because Mills I don't think can do what they want him to do as well as they need him to do it so do they still try to fit that square peg in the round hole do they adjust to where they run some of the more traditional under center stuff I'll, I'll I am that's probably right at the top of the list of things I'm looking at for Nebraska how does the staff adjust its offensive game plan to fit the personnel because right now do they really have a running back that can run the way they need him to Okay, now all this conversation to me gears up to this question. It it's not going to turn around, and they're not going to be the the number one offense in the nation the last no. five years. But it, how much belief is in you that they can at least be? I don't even know what the word is. A threat offensively, like like opponents look at Nebraska's offense every week and go, okay, this is going to be we got to we got a challenge this week. Like because right now, people probably aren't saying that. No, I mean when you go seven, ten, seven, as three touchdowns of, the last three games, right? As you just said, yeah. If you're if you're putting twenty four points on the board in three games, yes, against good teams, but I I think there's a chance, but there will have to have been a lot that has gotten fixed over a bye week and and I don't know that that it can I think this can this offense can get back to where it's passable and to where it's not hurting you but the idea that this can be a top half of the Big 10 offense I think is off the table at this point yeah and and, and the other the other part to this is once Adrian Martinez gets healthy what dimension? What dimension does he bring back? How much did, did his time away affect his game, good, bad, or indifferent? It's interesting to figure that out. You wonder how healthy he has been this year, and, and has he had the same burst running the football? I know the the coaching staff has said that the added weight has not been a factor in his ability to run the football, and and so you hope that. A little time off, some fewer reps. He'll be mentally ready. He'll have most of the timing back just by showing up, I think. Uh, hopefully a little time off gives him that extra juice to where he's the guy we saw last year. And, and, and the dip in his production, yeah, some goes on his bill, but plenty of it goes on the Lions' bill and, and the rest of the skill guys because I don't know that he's gotten much help this year. Yeah, and, and it's all-encompassing. The receivers feed into the running game. We talked about – been talking about this a lot all year, but even even last night on the show, it, it all affects oh yeah each other, and and it's just it's made the offense just look clunky, and and certainly not what we expected. 
every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. Brought to you by JTEC Construction. Time to replace your roof. Call JTEC, the official exterior experts of the Huskers, for a free estimate. JTEC Construction is a family-owned company with locations in Lincoln, Omaha, and Grand Island. First chance to talk to the coaching staff after a practice. Of course, Scott Frost and a few players met with the media yesterday, but this was our first post-practice availability. Eric Chenander, Nebraska's defensive coordinator, met with the media, and Eric Chenander was asked first, how did the bye week go? Yeah, we had a good bye week. Uh, you know, I'm sure Coach Frost talked about it, but we went back to basics a little bit, fundamentals, uh, tackling, some base defense, uh, good on good reps. So, you know, we got to go against the, our offensive line, our skill players. So I thought that was really good to see some speed and some good on good blocking. Um, but the guys, have, they, they bounced back. They've done a nice job these last couple of weeks. And a bye week's a luxury this coaching staff hasn't had since they've been together. So it was an opportunity for them to sharpen some things up and get after some things. And you think about Scott Frost's comments after that Minnesota game where he was pretty frustrated that Nebraska was not the most physical team on the field. And you got to think, especially in that bye week with a couple extra days to to heal up, uh, physicality was a big focus. Yeah, and you got to wonder how much of that comes at a little bit of a surprise how much we were hearing in the offseason about the work that Nebraska did in the weight room, but um, clearly still still a ways to go in that department as well. Now, how exactly did practice work during that bye week? Eric Chenander was asked about that. Yeah, same thing. I mean, me and Coach Frost scripted the practice together, so they kind of saw what they wanted to see, and we got to see what we wanted to see a little bit. It was a pretty work-together scenario. It wasn't one of those deals where – you know they're they're running plays where they get free shots it was pretty much you know we're, we're going to go smash each other up front we're going to stop stretch we're going to stop inside zone they're going to run inside zone run stretch and then run some some pass plays off of it but it was it was good work and i think everybody's heartened that they were working on trying to stop the uh, stretch runs that minnesota just gashed nebraska with a couple of weeks ago, that was that was a big problem for this defense at Minnesota. So I'm sure that was a, a big part of the menu of practice over the last week or so. Yeah, and I, look, there are a lot of things that coaches want to focus on improving on during a bye week. How much of that is realistic <laughs> and, and can actually get done and, and changed, we'll see. But I have to imagine there was a, a laundry list of, of pressing things that they wanted to focus on. And I'm sure one of the things the staff wanted to focus on was just getting better in the fundamentals. Eric Schneider was asked about that. Yeah, I, th- I think I think anytime you're in a, in a bye week scenario, you got to evaluate where you're at. You know, sometimes you're you're in a position where. You know, you're playing really well and you need to recover and you need to maybe get the young guys reps and, and those type of things. We're not at that position. We're at a position where we need to get better every single week. We need to continue to get more physical. We need to continue to develop players and develop fundamentals. So what exactly does the defense need to improve on, Eric Chenander was asked? Not nearly good enough. Uh, we haven't done and 
you know, we just got to keep working. I mean, we've got we've got to be better up front. We've got to be better in the back end. We've got to make some plays on the football. Uh, eyes are eyes have been really bad in the last few weeks. Um, guys just, you know, not getting lined up fast enough and not getting their eyes where they need to be, uh, seeing some ghosts, seeing what you're not supposed to see. If you can correct their eyes, I think we're going to, which we've done a lot in the last few weeks, you know, it wasn't putting in a whole bunch of new stuff. It was going back to basics and here's where your eyes need to be. You can't be an eye violator out there and play good football. Just, I don't care if you're at high school level or college level or the NFL level, you have to have your eyes where they're supposed to be and we haven't for the last couple of weeks. And especially in this conference where the offenses are so well coached and so diverse and have so many different ways to beat you, if they find that you fall for fakes or motions or things like that, they'll eat you alive. Well, that's what these offenses are designed to do. I mean, it's why Pat Fitzgerald and uh, Kirk Ferentz and and Paul Christ, you, you go down the line, it's why these coaches have been around for so long and doing what they do and it works and they stick with it is because that's what it's designed to do. And and if you know, if it wasn't working for them, they would find a way to change, but we you come to expect what a team's going to look like every year because it works. Yeah, identity. We we talk so much about building an identity as a football team and that's why it's so important. You know what you need to do whether it's as an offensive player or as a defensive player as we continue along on the JTAC practice report one thing Nebraska needs to do much better is getting pressure on the quarterback no sacks against Minnesota only one sack against Northwestern Eric Chenander was asked about building a pass rush yeah, I mean, I think we got some guys that can that can rush the passer. You know, we, we obviously are going to try to find some guys that are, you know, dominant pass rushers. We have some guys that can do that. Uh, unfortunately, the last couple of weeks we haven't really earned the right to, to do that. You know, we haven't we haven't done a good enough job on first down to to warrant a second and long or a third and long. Uh, so that's part of it too. You know, getting them in a must pass situation, and we haven't done a great job of that. And that's just it. You think back on that Minnesota game, one of the big reasons why Nebraska didn't have much of a pass rush was Minnesota was living on in second and four all night, really. Or they were scoring touchdowns or gashing them. I mean, <laughs> Minnesota really had two shot plays. They really, if you think about it, the first play out of the at a halftime, they mm-hmm. took a shot to Johnson, and first play of the game got it to Johnson on and out. They're not exactly, you know, routes that are lending themselves to to sacks Mm -hmm. and when you don't stop the run that's going to happen right and once you stop what once teams know or once you figure out you're having trouble stopping the run you tend to crowd that safety closer to the line of scrimmage and that makes it tougher to hold coverage and everything just breaks down so getting pressure on the quarterback one deficiency for this defense lately another one getting takeaways Eric Chenander was asked about what this defense needs to do to take the ball away yeah I think I think turnovers can happen at all times you know right now you know where we're just you're not getting to a, a point where you're not getting enough guys to the football. When guys get to the football, that's when turnovers get caused. That's when tip balls and, and overthrows get caused and guys catch tips. That's where fumbles get stripped. When you're getting more and more and more guys to the football, we haven't been doing that lately, and that's got to change. And that, too, is part of having your eyes in the right place, having fits in the right place. Scott Frost talked about that last week, that Nebraska wasn't fitting on runs right. So instead of having two guys in the general vicinity of a run 
it's a one-on-one situation and you're going to lose that a lot of the time. So when you're having trouble just with the basics of tackling, taking the ball away is, is out of your grasp. Yeah, and Nebraska was taking the ball away at a really high clip early in the year. And, and the big question was how long can they sustain this for? I mean, very similar to last year, the sacks that Nebraska got against Colorado in week one, you loved it. Mm-hmm. But then it just completely slowed down. And, and with that, the turnover slowed down as well. And now it's gotten better this year. We lasted longer than, than one game, but you would like to see it steady throughout the year. No doubt about it. One of the guys that could help improve Nebraska's pass rush is Caleb Tanner. Eric Chenander was asked about him. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's, had, he's had some some injuries where he hasn't been able to practice a ton and um, hasn't been 100% knowing what's going on. So, you know, we're getting him in a little bit, and there's a few times where he was a little bit lost, and also, you know, he's a little dinged up. So it's just a combination of both. You're tantalized by his athleticism. You're tantalized by his potential. But, you know, it's becoming time for him to start to show what he can do, and he's not done that yet for this team. And and you hope to see some strides in that respect because when Nebraska got him, Caleb Tanner was a guy that, that you uh, were excited to get because he could be that big play guy off the edge for you. And so far he's not done that for the Huskers. Yeah, I think you're starting to see glimpses mm-hmm. of what he can do. You're starting to see him uh, occasionally make the athletic play that 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 you thought he could make, which is a step forward for last season. Uh, but this is going to be a guy that's getting a lot of attention this next off season for a guy that needs to turn a corner and start to become a force that we all thought he was going to be when he came here. Not to say that he can't do it; is he's oozing potential. Uh, and his and his ceiling is is astronomically high, but um, you know I, people want to start seeing that on the field. I know he wants to start seeing it on the field. No doubt, and he'll continue to work on that. Another guy who's continuing to work at that outside linebacker spot, and we saw more of him a couple Saturdays ago at Minnesota. Is Garrett Nelson out of Scotts Bluff? Eric Schnander was asked about him. I mean, yeah, Garrett Nelson's done a great job. Uh, he's, he's, he's come along every time he's got in the game. Uh, you know, with that guy, right, wrong, or indifferent, he's going to play really hard and he's going to go smash somebody. Um, so I think he's earned the right to get some more reps. That's always a start. You need that attitude. You need that aggressiveness, especially out on the edge. And you think of what's asked of an outside linebacker in this defense. You have to be a pass rusher with some athleticism coming off the edge. You also have to be a factor in run stop. You even have to occasionally cover passes. I mean, at the very least, whatever you're going to try and do, do it at full speed. But there's a whole lot asked of outside linebackers in this defense and it would be easy for a guy to kind of get crossed up and worried and and not not know because he doesn't know exactly where he's supposed to go he he slows down because he's thinking Garrett Nelson's going to make mistakes but he's going to make mistakes going a hundred percent and that's exactly what you want and I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the field more often no doubt about it uh now this stage of the year uh even with the bye week, some guys are not are nicked up. Eric Chenander was asked about the health of his defense and guys playing through some injuries. Uh, I mean, I'd like to say that that's huge, but I mean that's football. We're, we're banged up, so is everybody else. Uh, you know, it's nice to get healed up. It's nice to get those guys some rest, but uh, at the end of the day, you got to be able to play when you're hurt a little bit, especially in the Big Ten. 
It's a, it's a game of toughness, especially in this league. And the next team up for Nebraska in the Big Ten is Indiana. And Eric Chenander was asked about the Hoosiers' offense. Uh, I think they have a, they've done a really good job on offense. You know, I know they got Coach DeBoer there, who did a nice job at Fresno last year. Uh, you know, they, they're a West Coast spread offense. They use the tight end really well. Uh, they've got a nice slot receiver, and then they've got some big guys on the edge. And obviously, they played both quarterbacks. Both guys can run. Both guys can distribute the football. But they've got a nice offensive scheme, and they spread the ball around uh, a lot, which is, you know, a lot of times there's a, a main target. These guys do a nice job of getting a lot of players involved and getting a lot of players of football. These guys second in the conference in both passing offense and total offense and 16th in the country, throwing for over 300 yards a game. Uh, Chenander talked about this offense spreading defenses out. That's also a concept that's a part of Nebraska's offensive scheme. Chenander was asked about Indiana's offense being similar to the Husker offense. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some similarities, definitely structurally, uh, you know, and it's as Coach Frost, as you've seen this offense evolve from Oregon 2009 to now, there's been a lot of stuff. Um, so you, there's not a ton of plays where you haven't seen other than quarterback under center, you know, power and those types of things. But just about everything in the spread game, we've seen at some point or another, and they have a lot of similar concepts. So hopefully that helps Nebraska settle in against this Indiana offense as they try to slow down a Hoosier offense. It's been pretty good to this point. And we'll find out who's quarterbacking for them on Saturday, whether yeah. it's Penix or whether it's Ramsey. And both guys uh, played last week. Penix got hurt. So both teams yeah. question at quarterback, though Adrian Martinez was dressed out. It looked like he practiced. And Barrett Pickering looked like was in pads today. Yeah, Barrett Pickering also worked, and he was on the depth chart. So hopefully we see 32 back out there kicking. That's a good sign. Good stuff, Nate. That is our JTEC practice report here on Sports Nightly. This is the Nebraska Volleyball Radio Show right here on the Husker Sports Network. Jenna Otech, Crystal City, Missouri, serves a bad pass by Kenzie. Bump set. Hits the dog on scoreboard. Kubik reacts and gets it over. Purdue volleyball left side tip shot into the end. Town of Nebraska wins the rally. Manny Kubik's doing it all. With Husker head volleyball coach John Cook. Kenzie to serve again. The great freshman libero. Bad pass by Rath. Huskers have a serving target. Left side swing. Two block. Two block. Jazz sweet. Look at that jazz smile. Now, here's your host of the Nebraska Volleyball Show, Lauren Cook. Greetings, Nebraska, and welcome inside the Xfinity Center Pavilion, College Park, Maryland, home of the University of Maryland Volleyball, where tonight the Red Hot Terrapins, 11-8, and 3-4 in the conference, host your number five Huskers from Nebraska. Here comes a serve from Nicole Alford, the right-handed setter, back set, big red shot, Lexi Sun, kaboom! For 10 at 6, set to the middle, timing off, tipped over by Myers. Now the big red outside, Maddie Kubik blocked back, good cover. Longest rally of the night by far. Long shoot set, shot by Schwarzenbach, Overdick, put down by Taylor. 7 6 Nebraska. And they love it in College Park where I'd say at least the majority of the fans are wearing Husker red, not Maryland red. Kelly's been working really hard. She's been putting in extra time, and I think she's very determined to be a great player. And I think when you're determined, you work hard, and good things start happening. Served by Lexi. It's an overpass. Maryland put down. Kelly Schwarzenbach has her fifth kill. 
Kelly Schwarzenbach has five of Nebraska's 20 points, and she started with an attack error. Kenzie to serve again. The great freshman libero. Bad pass by Rath. Huskers have a serving target. Left side swing. Chris Ritchie's block. Who's blocked Jasmine? Look at that jazz smile. You know, Jazz struggled tonight, but she got blocked. She made a couple great digs. I just think they're really playing. It's the with each other, for each other starting to happen for them. They're really figuring out ways to help each other. And again, you get some of these rallies, you think the ball, it's over, and all of a sudden, here comes somebody, the ball's coming up, and you know, they put it somewhere and we kill it. Now the big red bumped over to the right, Jazz down the line, off the block and out. Jazz heating up, four kills. The first three are late in the first, four apiece, set two. Big swing by Lexi Sun, block back, great one-hand cover by Nicklin, left side swing. Lexi Sun, kaboom! Wow, and she bangs it. Off the block and up into the netting, suspended just below the rafters above. That ball's not coming down anytime soon. 13-5. Serves it past Bergio. Block back. Lixie's son, Kelly Schwarzenbach. Lexi with two blocks tonight. Now Erica Pritchard, left side shot. Blocked back by Jazz Sweet. And Kelly Schwarzenbach, who's got her hands in on most of these Husker blocks. 16-8. Serve over to Megan. Nice pass. Nicklin chooses back row. Lexi's son, kaboom! Woo-hoo! 24-12 from 10 feet. I thought uh, with this gym, the balls sold out crowd tonight. This, I think they broke a record tonight. Just thought our team handled the composure really well. I don't think we gave up any big runs tonight. I just thought we broke them down, posed our will on them, and did some nice things. Sends the serve back middle. Megan, perfect pass for the win. The slide. Stubrens, kaboom! 25-13. Set three. And this match over in College Park, Maryland. Good evening, Husker Nation. It's another Tuesday night, which means another Nebraska Volleyball Show presented by Sarder Heyman Jewelers, the official jewelers of the Huskers. Before we chat with head coach John Cook, remember to call 866-HUSKER-1, which is presented by Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, location, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. We would love to hear from you. So once again, 866-HUSKER-1. Quick recap of this past week. Nebraska took on Purdue at home and then went out to Maryland, beating Purdue three sets to one and Maryland 3-0. Huskers remain fifth in the coaches poll and this week Maddie Kubik walked away with some awards. She was freshman of the week in the Big Ten. So with all that being said, of course you're on your phone again, Coach Cook. Welcome to the Nebraska Volleyball Show. Are you going to join us tonight? Yes, I am. (laughs) Fired up. Let's roll. You had a good practice. You're in a good mood. Um, it was uh, interesting practice today. So there was some. My notes afterward were there were some people who were really good today, some people were just okay, some people really struggled. But we had two, we took two days off. So for a two day offer, it was pretty good. Um, it, uh, but uh, anyway, we got got it going again. They're on fall break right now, so they of course they just sleep all day. <laughs> Well, that's what I want to talk about is usually don't give two days off. I mean, I don't, I think that maybe happened one time in my, or two times oh, in my four no. year playing it's career. It's amazing how you guys don't remember that. But Oh, no way. Because you always, lot, wait, 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 Every whoa, year whoa, whoa, we always take a day off, one of the spring break days off. Now we may go to a movie, we may do something fun, but. We never went to movies yeah. when I played. Okay. You, yeah, you don't like right. taking two days off because you think we, the players come back lethargic and don't practice well. But why did you decide other than it being fall break, it, it's just middle of the season, a good time to give the girls a rest. Um, it's, you know, we went to 
Asia this summer, and so it just feels like it's a grind. Anytime you can give them a break, we got a lot of people. Are, and and I've hearing this from a lot of the sports. A lot of people have been there's been just a lot of bad bugs going around. So we've got several people that have been fighting off and keep getting sick. So we just thought let's, let's take a break. And you know the idea is you want them to come back excited to train. And uh, so I think they were pretty fired up to be in the gym today. And they got at, got after it. It was some of it wasn't pretty, but uh, they got after it. And I gave them on days like this. I give them. Uh, they had three drills that they had to get done. We don't leave till they get them done. Actually, there was four. And so there's a goal they have to hit. And some of them, it's not everybody in every drill. So some are in some drills, some are in three out of the four, some are in just one out of the four. Um, so, but they don't get it, they don't get it to leave until all those are done and they crushed them today. <laughs> so nice. so I, I was actually, I was disappointed in myself. I didn't make it hard enough, but I actually made them hard and they like crushed it. And I'm like, still in a little bit of disbelief that a couple of the drills I got through because I, I made them like this might take a half hour and they it was like less than 10 minutes we were finished did you still play Nipsey grinding all my life at the end of practice uh not today no oh, okay. I, I was I was in uh speechless after they got through all those things so fast I mean I, I was planning on practice going to six you know we had dinner coming at six yeah so I was planning on practice going to six and we were I mean there's people finished at 535 you called me at 5.40 and I was yeah. looking at my phone thinking, yeah. are you still supposed to yeah, be in practice? Because that's what I wanted to make sure because we had people ready to go to dinner by 5.40. <laughs> well, we already have a caller, so we're going to go to Charlie in Lincoln. Charlie, hello. Hi, Lauren. I'm calling because you told me I had to. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> that's not the reason I called. Anyhow, um, good evening, Coach. Hello. And Lauren. Um, good job on the recent run on Team's starting to look better, like you always expect them to. We're getting later into October. Um, but I've got a sort of a non-volleyball question for you. It's about parking. Um, the north side there, the gravel, is a nightmare post-match trying to get out, takes over. But then it looks like that's not going to be there come next season with the track and field moving into that world. Correct. If that happens. So... Are we going to be parking on the track? Ha <laughs> um, That's a great question. We... So what what I've been told is that there actually is going to end up being more parking spaces. There's going to be, uh, where the track goes, there's going to be some on the other side of the ice box. They're going to add more around to Vanny, and they may put more over there on the east side between us and Innovation Campus. So they're, they're believe me, the, and I'm not kidding you. They called me in when they were before they were getting ready to announce that big thing and move the track. And they just said, "Okay, you're going to get called about parking. Here's our plan. We're we're going to take care of it. It, it, and people are going to start calling in. You're the first caller. And sure enough, uh, but they've assured me that's going to happen. There'll be more, and they're going to rearrange things. And 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 uh, so we'll have to see how it comes out. And uh, but there's thought going into it, and there's planning because we know, you know, I. I've only heard one. The only complaints I've ever heard about moving to Devaney was parking the first few years. And once that we got that squared away, uh, I, have, I never hear any complaints. And so we don't want to hear any more about parking. Thanks for calling in, Charlie. 
All right, we have another caller. I'm, I told all my friends to call in tonight. Oh. I was, we were in the radio booth, and anyone who walked by, I was telling them, I'm, I'm going to be on the Nebraska Volleyball Radio Show on Tuesday. Be sure to call in. So let's go to Drew in Plattsmith. Drew, welcome in. <clears throat> hey, Coach. I just, someone who kind of follows in-state uh, recruiting pretty closely in all, in all sorts, I just kind of want to get your perspective. It seems, especially in the uh, women's or girls' high school in Nebraska, we're putting out a much greater proportion of like high-level elite Division One prospects across all sports compared to the to, to the males, which gives our women's programs, I think, down in Nebraska, a significant advantage um, over the men's teams just from that base you can draw from. Do you have? I mean, just uh, just from your perspective, why why do you think that is in Nebraska where we're, we have more girl, high-level girl prospects than males? Is it genetic? Is it development i'm um, just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that so thank you really good question my thoughts are that um first of all um you know a lot of the the girls in the state play multiple sports so i think that helps them develop i don't know if that's as true for the for the boys i'm guessing probably a lot of them do play multiple sports so that should be a wash the second thing is i just know there's some really good athletes here and uh, female athletes in this state. Uh, now, is that genetics? Is it heritage? Is it grandparents? Is it water they drink? I don't know. But uh, and a third thing I think is that uh, you know a lot of the female athletes from here uh, they grow up with Husker sports. They grow up with Husker volleyball, Husker basketball. So I think girls here are dreaming big and and um, uh, and. You know, volleyball, basketball, softball, uh, girls' sports are really big in this state, really big. In fact, I've I've talked to people who have come and watched our state tournament. They're blown away. I mean, they go to state tournaments all over the country, and they come and see the state tournament here for volleyball. They're just blown away. I mean, it's televised. Uh, so I just think there's a lot of things going, you know, uh, in favor of helping these female athletes dream big and, and work hard. And there's some great coaches in this state. I Again, for girls volleyball, I can speak specifically. There are great, there's some of them are retired, but there are great coaches in the state, and then there's some great club coaches as well. So, good balance, good athletes. They dream big. We got great examples for them, and uh, it's pretty cool. And you're right. Uh, you know, I think in volleyball per capita, we we sign as many Division One players as any state in the country. Tonight's show is sponsored by Nebraska 811. Nebraska 811 says, go dig red. Before you dig, always call or click 811 to have your utility lines marked. It's free. It's easy. It's the law. All right. So, you know, I love social media and you love social media too. You're just not very good at using it Correct. because I don't think you know how to use it. Correct. <laughs> and so I went on to social media and I, and I said, you know, if you guys could ask Coach Cook questions, what would you want to ask him? I received about 50 replies and I'm telling you, our fan base is educated. The, they had some brilliant questions. I mean, questions that I don't even know if I could think of. So I'm going to go through and just start asking you some of those. Great. Let's go. Love so, it. So first of all, can you explain this? Did subs- you do this on Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, oh, Twitter. Okay, Facebook, no, just, just, just on Twitter, Twitter. just Twitter. Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Explain the substitution that involves Nicklin and Aneshka. Okay, so we call that a double sub, and what it is is we're trying to give Nicklin a break in the front row, so you sub Ineshki in for her to block, and then we sub in Nicole as a setter 
just set from the back row. So you call it a double sub. So Nicole actually goes in for Lauren Stiverns to serve. So we have a setter in the back row and Neshka in the front row. And I've seen it work several times in Asia. It's worked a couple times this year. We've run a couple points. Sometimes it doesn't work. A lot of pressure on those guys coming in. But what it is, is just to give a bigger block, more physical block, is a Neshka makes hitters think. And then, uh, you know, we have a setter that we can transition out of if we, if we dig the ball. And she's a great server. Yeah, and Nicole's, she, Nicole does a nice job she, serving. Yeah, it's tough to pass her serve. Okay, next question, Maddie Kubik. And perfect, we, sh- we should definitely be talking about her this week because she had an incredible week last week. Uh, talk hey, about- wait, she's on scholarship, gets paid to do that. So I don't <laughs> think it's incredible. That's what she should do every week. Well, her improvement is incredible. Yeah. She, from where she started the season to where she's playing now, it's she's definitely developed and changed as a player. So, talk about her development, um, especially how she's been playing lately. What I mean, did it just start clicking for her? It's almost looked like JB and I say it looked like the game slowed down for her in the beginning of the year. It was moving really fast, and now it's kind of slowed down, and she understands how to play at this level. So, can you just talk about that and explain what happened? Well, I think uh, Maddie. Maddie had a great Asia trip, and so she came in with all these expectations for herself on how how well she needed to play. So sometimes when freshmen you have those expectations, uh, you know it does slow them down and it makes them tighter, and they don't ever feel like they're good enough. So I think she's just worked through the point now where uh, her she's trusting her training, she's playing free, and um, she's playing like what we saw in Asia. Uh, I also think, you know, Capri coming in for, you know, she she wants to be in there. So that's, uh, you know, another thing, knowing if I'm not getting it done, there's somebody else that can. So a uh, combination of all those things. But, um, you know, uh, she's carrying a big role for us. And, uh, you know, she's done a pretty good job. And, we got, we got you know, it's nice when you're, you see – them work hard and really work at it and she's a very hard worker uh, you know it's nice to see him pay off and she's not only producing offensively but her passing numbers have gone up I, I think defensively she's she dug some balls last week that I didn't know she could get to so yeah. she's improved and her serve looks a little better yeah like I said I saw this in Asia so I saw that the level she could play at so it was kind of a bummer and then sometimes you know as players you don't you're not living up to what you think you can do then you press harder and you get worse so it's just part of maturing, growing, and, and uh, understanding the level you have to play at and, and bring it each day. So focusing on some other players on the court, fans have been noticing that Lauren gets a few more sets than Callie. Is there a rhyme or reason to that? I know really the only reason I can think of is that Lauren's in the front row when Nicklin's in the front row. So you're taking away that right side option. Right. You only have two hitters. So naturally, Lauren should get more sets than Callie, correct? Right, exactly. So she plays next to the setter, which means she's up the front in the front row of the setter twice. So there's only one other hitter. So she should get more sets. She's also hitting over 500. So why not set somebody that's hitting that high? And then why do you think Nicklin connects better with Lauren than with Callie? Is it because she's she just sets Lauren more often, so she gets more used to, to setting her. Is Lauren easier to set? Lauren's easier to set. She's up. She's more athletic. You have a bigger, more room for error. So setters tend to, you know, fire fire there because they have less pressure to make a perfect set. And, that, you know, I think sometimes Nicklin thinks she has to make a perfect set to Callie. But Callie's getting better and uh, kind of went in a rut there. I mean, she was great against Illinois. 
and uh, a couple other matches, and then she kind of went in a rub, and now she's she's pulling out of it. But the other thing I look at with Callie, I'm not, I, you know, some nights they're not going to hit great, but is she blocking? And Callie's been doing a really good job blocking. So speaking of Callie, I have to tell a story about her um, Saturday night at Maryland. So Lindsay Peterson, your director of ops, just had a baby. Congratulations, Lindsay, if you're listening. Um, And so she is... I'm sure Lindsay's at Brian West right now. They've got it piped all over the whole hospital. (laughs) That's right. And the nurses there love you. Hello, hello everybody. (laughs) Baby word. (laughs) Baby. (laughs) Okay, so we're at Maryland Saturday. We're we're getting ready to leave the hotel. And uh, Callie comes up to me, because Lindsay's not there, and she tells me that she doesn't have her red short sleeve jersey, which is the jersey that they were playing in Saturday night. Was she crying? No, okay. no, she was not crying. And uh, she, she said it very calmly. And so our next step was figuring out, you know, what are we going to do? And then what are we going to tell Coach Cook so he doesn't get <laughs> super mad before the match starts? So we thought of this elaborate story. Once we figured out that she ended up wearing Fallon's jersey, because Fallon's redshirting, so we knew she wasn't going in. Uh, we thought of this elaborate story of telling you that cherry juice spilled on her jersey, so she wasn't able to wear it. Well, you know, you've known me my entire life, so you automatically knew I was lying to you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and figured it out. But it's you know, you'd think we'd get an equipment manager or someone who's bringing the jerseys on the road because. I mean, it's a lot for these student athletes. I know you're smiling and laughing and thinking it's just a jersey and they should remember it. But when you're trying to balance school and traveling and meals and homework and all of that, it's it's tough to remember. Well, let's blame it on Lindsay. Lindsay should pack her bags for him. <laughs> let's do everything for him, you know? Blame everything on Lindsay. Poor Lindsay. Uh, speaking of that, though, how... How do these players balance everything that's going on with schoolwork, especially when they're traveling on the road? Maybe talk a little bit about the meals, um, how meals are taken care of on the road, and then also while they're at home. Um, just touch on on everything that they have to balance on their plate and, and how, we, how you guys help them out. Well, first of all, they have to learn time management. So they have to um, manage their time. And they got to know when they have free time and when they can't, can't, you know, they got to get stuff done. They're on schedule with tutors. They have their meals provided for them, all three meals. So they just have to show up at the training table to get them. And, um, you know, it's part of the adjustment of being a student athlete is learning how to manage your time. And the ones that are organized, they're ahead of the game. They write stuff down. They, they follow the schedules. They do pretty good. And the ones that are disorganized, and they're the ones that, uh, you know, struggle with it. But it, it is a process they have to go through. Well, we'll be right back after this break. All right, welcome back. We have three callers in only a minute, so we have to get through this fast. Go. First caller, Taylor, hello, my little brother, your son, in Jackson Hole. How are you? Uh, good. I, I just wanted to call in and correct some uh, earlier information that <laughs> you would wear uh, UCLA or Texas shirts to get under your skin. I never uh, got on, on my dad's bad, bad side one time, so I just wanted to correct that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Taylor. This is a family affair. Love you, Taylor. Have a great night. All right. John in North Platte. John and John, you're, on the, you're both on the air. Yeah. 
Good evening, Lauren. Good evening, Coach. This has nothing to do with volleyball, more about family. Lauren, how hard is it not to call him dad? Does he have to have like a sign around his neck tonight that says coach right on the front of it? <laughs> no, John, honestly, it's not hard at all. I A long time ago uh, when I transferred back, I we set a rule that Anytime we talk volleyball or we're in the gym, it's Coach Cook. And then, um, obviously, when we're at home and, and when I'm just calling him to talk, it's Dad. So I definitely do call him Dad. It's just not around volleyball. I just The only time she calls me Dad is when she needs money. <laughs> Thanks for uh, calling in, John. What's the last question, question? That's it. Oh, I thought that, there was one more. He, he decided he didn't want to oh, talk to yeah, us. He was, he so to Bob left us. Okay. Bob, we would have answered your question maybe next time. But thank you all so much for tuning in to the Nebraska Volleyball Show presented by Sarder Heyman Jewelers. And up next is Top 10 Sports Nightly with Ben McLaughlin. We'll see you next time. Good night, Nebraska. We think them up. We count them down. It's Top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. All right, gents. Tim participating tonight. That's right. Get How do you feel about your list, Tim? Is Tom Brady number one? <laughs> Tom Brady could be number one in any sport regardless. That's just – I'll take that to my grave. Okay, can we talk about his dumb little uh, W tweets, those little videos <laughs> that he puts out every week? Dumb. I, Sir, you offend me. How dare you? Those you are amazing. You can't honestly like that, Tim. Well, I mean, I, I do honestly like um, that. And I do like that cameo he made in that Netflix uh, TV show, which we can't get into for obvious reasons. But uh, oh my. Uh, I, I, like, I like Tom Brady uh, as a person, as a football player. And uh, as I'm a sure cheater. The, the love is reciprocated. As a cheater and as a human. Yes, all, right. all those things. All right, Tim, well, I'm going to nominate you to go first. We are doing top 10 NBA players to switch teams via trade, free agency, whatever it may be. Stars that are on a new roster this year. You might have forgotten some of them. Let's let's go ahead and start with you, Timmy. Well, yeah, you might uh, forget about this player because he's not going to play this year. Uh, the Durantula, Kevin Durant, uh, of course, uh, making the move from the Golden State Warriors to the New Jersey Nets, kind of breathing breathing some life in a franchise that could certainly use it. But, of course, he did uh, re-aggravate that Achilles injury when he played in the finals. He kind of – I don't know if he – just kind of pushed himself too hard trying to return too soon and re-injured it and so uh Kevin Durant would be higher on the list but of course uh, when you have to sit a full year that changes the dynamic a bit but uh, have to put the Durantula in there at number 10. Yeah the uh, Nets are desperate for for some life even for you to recognize that they've moved to Brooklyn. <laughs> did I say New Jersey? Oh, you man. did, yes. I'm a bit noted NBA guy Tim Curran. If it's not if it doesn't have anything to do with the Patriots Tim's out. <laughs> Well, the New York team. Tim, who's your NBA team? Are you Uh, are you a Warriors fan? No, I'm not a Warriors fan. Um, You know, I I kind of adopted the Celtics as my team just because I'm 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 more of a I'm more I like to hate teams. Josh and I were talking about this before the show. Like Yankees. I like to latch onto teams and and hate them. So I'm more of a like anti Lakers fan is how I would categorize my uh, NBA fandom. But uh, I guess the Celtics. So how do you land on the Patriots? Well, the Patriots. I mean, who who rivaled the Patriots? Well, besides the fact that I I was a former beleaguered St. Louis Rams fan, uh, I was always a Tom Brady guy, and also they were pumped out on national TV every five seconds, so you either kind of embrace it or not. And I'm also, uh, you know, the the other team that's on TV all the time was KC, and of course, being from St. Louis, I can't I can't embrace Kansas City in any meaningful way. So that's how that (laughs) happens. All right, let's go from uh, one end of the rivalry to the next. Nate, you're up. 
Well, seeing as there are no Kansas City players on this. But uh, my number 10, kind of an old guy, still kicking, you know, trying to keep the thunder moving forward. Chris Paul moving from the Rockets to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Of course, the Thunder had a big exodus of talent. More on that in a little bit. But he's he's the one guy that's kind of there to, to push that franchise forward. So Chris Paul, my number 10. All right. Uh, just full disclosure, I did not put Kevin Durant on my list just because he is not going to play this year. Had he been playing, he would be top three easy. Um, so there's my disclaimer. My number 10, I'm going to a guy that's been around a while, and he's he's been hopping around a ton lately. And I had to do a double take. I was like, wait, have he, has he played for this team before? And he, and he hasn't. I'm going Al Horford, big center, spent a lot of time with the Hawks, with the Celtics, and his new team, the Philadelphia 76ers. Intrigued to see how they use him with uh, Joel Embiid, if they're going to put both on the floor at the same time or if he's going to back him up, at least until Embiid gets hurt, that is. Oh, yeah, that, that's just coming. Okay, my uh, number nine. I wasn't sure if we were allowed to do this, but I, I did it anyway because I'm such a Husker homer. Isaiah Roby, that's right, drafted by the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, look, uh, I'm not trying to get too carried away here, but Dirk Nowitzki retires, and, and who steps up to replace him? Isaiah Roby. It's his Roby's lead to take is what I'm trying to say. It's definitely one direction to go. (laughs) Do you have a lot of rookies on your list? Uh, No, I think that's my only one. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, My number nine, kind of a problem child, but Jimmy Butler going to the heat. You know, the, the heat shuffling the deck, the whole Dwayne Wade dynasty has finally ended. And so the character of that franchise is going to change in a big way. And Jimmy Butler is going to be the one setting it. Good luck with that. I'll go from one problem child to the next. Our, our friend Uncle Drew. Yes, he inspired uh, the team name of our YMCA basketball league from years ago. Um, Kyrie Irving, of course, going over to Brooklyn to pair up with the injured Kevin Durant. And he couldn't have got out of Tim's favorite team, Boston, fast oh, yeah. enough. And I don't, I don't think – I think Celtics fans were pushing people out of the way of the lines of the airport to, <laughs> to make sure he was the first one on the plane on his way out of Boston. So he is going to be a Brooklyn net. Yeah, my, uh, my number eight, I'm sticking with, uh, with a Celtic now, uh, Ennis Cantor. And, uh, you know, again, uh, as a noted NBA guy, uh, I, I'm not sure. Um, I think I picked him just for the sentimental value of it because – you know, you look at the NBA, and they certainly mishandled the whole Hong Kong China kind of affair. And so you go to a guy like Ennis Cantor, who, uh, if you really look into his story, how he has been vocally critical of the Turkish government and has faced severe repercussions. In fact, I almost guarantee he can't return to his native country, which is uh, he took quite the stand. And so I think that I'm just excited to see uh, now that he has is on the team that he'll be able to get a lot more minutes. I think that he's gotten before with the, with the Blazers and, and other franchises. I think that uh, Cantor is a, certainly a guy to keep my eye on. All right. Uh, Benny had him at nine. I've got him at eight. This is Kyrie Irving going to the Brooklyn Nets and with the Nets really starting over and, and, uh, their rebuild toward a championship. He'll be the guard cornerstone of the rebuild. The Nets have a decent nucleus now. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Karis LeVert, former Michigan Wolverines, had a very decent career and is, he was primed to blow up last year before he had that gruesome injury. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, 
You know, everybody knows that name. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere and uh, scored a lot for them last year. But uh, the the big the big move for them uh, was a loss, and we'll, we'll get to him here in a little bit. Nate, you and I flip flop nine and eight. I've got Jimmy Butler here at number eight. You know, those videos have come out of him yelling at his teammates in <laughs> Miami. No idea how this is going to go. I kind of feel he's like he's going to get lost down there in South Beach, but solid player nonetheless. Uh, my number seven, you already mentioned him, Nate, Chris Paul. And uh, it might seem like a loss for the Thunder to kind of swap out uh, one kind of point guard for another, for, for an older point guard, uh, I should say. But, you know, Westbrook's time was up in OKC. You remember the, the fights he would get in, uh, the verbal sparring matches with uh, a certain <laughs> calmness from the Oklahoman. And uh, I think that he was kind of starting to wear uh, out, wear kind of everyone thin there in OKC. And so you, you kind of bring in the only real replacement you could have for a guy like Russell Westbrook in terms of star power. And he'll bring a kind of stabilizing force to the locker room, I think. He's got that that veteran leadership. And so even though, yes, Chris Paul is is – is, is a little bit, uh, you know, getting up there in, in NBA terms. Uh, but I think it's still a great acquisition for OKC. Kind of blows your mind when you think about the Thunder, where they had Durant and Westbrook and Harden, and they couldn't even make a finals. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and what's sad is that's probably as good as it's going to get for Oklahoma City. I don't know that they'll ever have a nucleus like that at any point. I mean, it Time, time will tell, but, man, the city of Oklahoma City gets an NBA franchise. They're that great, you know, within a couple of years of showing up, and then they still can't crest the mountain. That's, that's tough. All right, my number seven going to Tim Curran's Boston Celtics. <laughs> Kimball Walker freed from the shackles of the Charlotte Hornets now to wear the green and white. More on Kemba to follow. Yes. <laughs> I, I think you're a fan, as, uh, I, as I recall. Now, I don't think fan describes it uh, enough. Fanatic, more likely. Uh, okay. My number seven has not been mentioned yet, but kind of talked about the foreshadowing with Kyrie at nine and talked about Brooklyn's nucleus. Well, this was a big loss for them as D'Angelo Russell goes from East Coast to West Coast over at Golden State. I'm interested to find out how this works, uh, him coming into this Golden State puzzle. Uh, now becoming a warrior, but I've got former Ohio State Buckeye D'Angelo Russell at number seven. Uh, my number six, I've got Paul George, went from the Thunder now with the Clippers. I think he's an all-around solid acquisition. He will be in action later tonight. They're taking on the Lakers. Should be a, a good matchup, but uh, certainly the the Clippers look like a really impressive team. I've got a, another guy who made a move to uh, L.A., not the other the Lakers, but the other L.A. team there um, later on my list. All right. My, uh, my number six, Timmy, you had him at 10. This is where I've got Durant, and this feels high for a guy who's not going to play this year. But look, you know, Irving's a nice pickup. Irving doesn't take you from, you know. Does it make a, you a title contender? No, it doesn't. Kevin Durant does, even if he doesn't this year. And that's what Kevin Durant does for Brooklyn down the road. Yes, uh, I would agree. My number six has been mentioned by both of you, Nate at 10, Tim at 7. I got Chris Paul at uh, point guard at Oklahoma City now, and it's going to be his show. <laughs> He's the only one left. Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, my number five, Nate, you already had him on there. Uh, Jimmy Butler, he was part of a four-team trade that got him to the Heat. And uh, he's a bit of a wild card, that Jimmy. Uh, I believe he also <laughs> makes his team go to uh, 3 a.m. workouts. And <laughs> so he's, he's definitely a pusher. And so that's kind of fascinating to, to kind of look at. You think, okay, he's either going to galvanize the team to play together, play with this kind of new, you know, inspiration and gusto or he's going to make that thing into an unforgettable hard knock style train wreck uh that will be uh, good to watch so either way uh definitely my my i'll be focused in on on jimmy butler's time in uh south beach definitely rooting for the latter and it, it, <laughs> as much bad as can come to the teams of miami I, i'm down for it uh, number five for me, this is where I've got Mike Conley going from the Grizzlies to the Jazz. Very good player. I don't think he's enough to get the Jazz into that upper echelon in the Western Conference, but he makes the Jazz very, very competitive. I'm, I forgot he moved. I don't have him on my list, and it probably should have been. Good call. Uh, well done on your part. Yeah. My number five, really surprised he's not number one. He's number one in my heart. Kemba Walker, uh, moving from Boston. I am, I am excited to see what he can do on a competent team. I mean, this should be a good coach and Coach Stevens and some other parts around him. I, by default, am a Celtics fan now, and it, I feel like I need to take a shower saying that. Boy, but. I mean, you make fun of me for my Tom Brady love. I think it pales comparison to the to the Kemba uh, love session going on right now. Yeah, well, I, Kemba isn't the one that uh, he doesn't cheat, first of all, and he doesn't have a billion rings. Yeah, billion rings helps, you know. Uh, moving on, my number four, I've already been mentioned uh, his name a couple times, Russell Westbrook, move, of course, in that, that swap deal there with Chris Paul. And, of course, Russell Westbrook, as I mentioned, there is a little bit of a downside with Russell in that, uh, you know, he is prone to getting into some verbal spars. It's happened with the fan base. It's happened with uh, media members. But undeniably is supremely talented and already got a really talented uh, roster. Of course, most notably on that roster is James Harden. And so what those two can do, that one-two punch, uh, OKC was was a fantastic team with Russell and uh, Durant, Durantula. I almost called him the, the Durant. But, um, you know, with that with that one-two guard combo, I'd be curious to see uh, how will, it, will that be enough to take them all the way to the NBA Finals? I'm not quite sure, but, but certainly the potential's there. All right, my number four, Tim, you had him at six. This is where I've got Paul George going from Oklahoma City to the Clippers. And Kawhi Leonard, obviously, is the big clipper, but you need second fiddles. You need secondary scoring options if you're going to be an NBA title contender, and Paul George will certainly provide that for the Clips. Nate, you and I line up here. I got PG here at, at number four. Could have been an MVP. I mean, he, he had that good of a year last mm -hmm. year. He was unbelievable a year ago, of course, coming off the nasty – broken leg he's not going to be playing i think until probably next month with his shoulder issues uh but most of the year he barring further injury he'll be he'll be healthy he's not going to be ready to he's going to miss at least the first 10 games and i would imagine it's a little bit more than that so um you know i think uh i think it's going to be interesting to see how that goes in, in la can they start to build um can they build anything that's comparable to their same arena rivals yeah. And that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And uh, when they hit the floor, I mean, I'm intrigued to find out how tonight goes. I mean, even without Paul George, I know they're probably shorthand a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. 
My number three, I've got the brow, Anthony Davis. He's with the Lakers, and uh, look, uh, I'm putting my cards on the table. Could prove to be more valuable than LeBron, just saying it. Um, I think that you look at their roster, and it's, you know, kind of reminds you of L.A. of of years past where this sort of like the New York Yankees, a big market team, uh, putting as many super weapons on it as possible. Rajon Rondo, LeBron James, Dwight Howard, uh, now Anthony Davis. I mean, there's they're not uh, uh, lacking for talent in L.A. Now, of course, you have all those personalities in the locker room. How do they mesh? That's always a thing. But of course, LeBron has done that uh, before with Miami and also with Cleveland. So uh, they are instantly now championship contenders with Anthony Davis on their roster. If everyone stays healthy, uh, they could be uh, odds on favorites to win it. But that's a very strong Western Conference. Speaking of the very strong Western Conference, this is where I've got Russell Westbrook at three, going from the Thunder to the Rockets. And, and Tim, you alluded to it. It's going to be interesting to see how Westbrook fits into that Rocket team. I mean, James Harden needs his shots, and Russell Westbrook needs his too. Is he going to be happy distributing the ball more? Is he going to need to be a scoring option? I'll, I'll be interested to see how that dynamic develops, but highly talented player, great point guard, Westbrook at three. We'll see if he shares the ball. Nate, I have a feeling you and I might go 4-3-2-1. I've got Westbrook here at number three. They say they're going to stagger the minutes. Uh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Uh, yeah. It's, I don't know what's going to happen with this. It's going to be interesting to find out how the locker room dynamic shifts oh, yeah. from this and if, if this is actually going to work. You know, they, they were teammates before, and will, the, will this work? Are they going to get mine? Uh, am I going to get mine? Are you going to get yours? Uh, two guys that, that love to play with the ball in their hand, someone's going to have to play off the ball, which – <laughs> we'll see how that's going to go. They, they might just be taking the ball from each other. <laughs> he might yeah. be the most defense Harden has played in his life, taking the ball away from Westbrook. <laughs> right. Uh, my number two, I've got Kyrie Irving, a gentleman that both you guys have already mentioned. Uh, the man believe, <laughs> the man may believe the earth is flat, but uh, he can play basketball, that's for sure. And uh, maybe I've bumped him up a whole bunch just because of the, the Durant factor. And, and what you guys were saying earlier, is he the – the final piece of the puzzle, uh, certainly not as a, a standalone, but with with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, uh, year two they'll be playing together, and that could certainly be a championship contender team. So Kyrie Irving, my number two. My number two, Anthony Davis going to the Lakers. Tim, you had him at three. Uh, he's not the primary scorer for the Lakers, although it, it'll be pretty close between him and LeBron. I mean, LeBron's getting older. God, that's frightening to say. He and I graduated high school the same year. But uh, Anthony Davis uh, makes the Lakers a contender in considering how bad the Lakers have been the last five years, seven years, whatever. They need something out there, and, and Davis is that something to take them from just a team in the mix to a team that can contend for a title just like that. Yeah. Uh, we don't exactly line up. I've got Kawhi here at number two. Ah. Uh, I mean, probably the one of the biggest names, but I, I think Dave, I think Davis is a better player. Kawhi is a freak. He's mm-hmm. uh, obviously br- brought a title to Toronto. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody could have ever thought they would say that in their life. <laughs> I think these two are pretty in- interchangeable, but I've got Kawhi at two. 
Uh, yeah, Ben, I got to uh, piggyback off you. My number one, of course, the enigmatic big man out of San Diego State, Kawhi Leonard. And you're right. I mean, not only is he an impressive talent from a physical standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, uh, he's also just an unusual dude. But he, but he, he's still a leader in that, you know, that Raptors team took on the greatest NBA dynasty to ever grant granted without Kevin Durant um, at least not for a few minutes but uh, they took on the, the the Golden State Warriors and won and uh, that that's an impressive uh, impressive accomplishment all by its own so he could be the uh, the new king of LA so LeBron will have to uh, watch his back for certain yep that's where I've got Kawhi at one you know getting George is nice but the Clippers wouldn't be a title contender without Kawhi Leonard it's just interesting to me you know often Guys change teams because they've played out their string in a market or with a team. You think of when LeBron left the Heat, they lost in the finals. Kawhi won the NBA championship in Toronto and and is jumping ship. He's not there to see the banner go up, which is a rare thing. And it's just interesting to see. I mean, Kawhi Leonard's won a title in San Antonio and yeah. Toronto. Can he do it in the bright lights of LA? That would be amazing. You know, go go win a title <laughs> in three different cities. Crazy. Whew, that would be amazing. I've got the brow here at number one. Um, yeah, it, I think both are pretty interchangeable, both monster signings among the, the biggest and uh, with Kevin Durant on the move too. Uh, NBA is an amazing time right now where these super teams and these trios are uh, – the big threes are, are joining up and players hitting each other up and saying, all right, let's go here, let's go here, let's go here. Certainly an interesting phenomenon. It's just interesting how much control the players have yes, that, yeah. in the league right now because in the NFL and in Major League Baseball, these things are dictated by front offices, whereas in the NBA, the players really pull the strings on this stuff because of how important each player is, because of how few great, truly great players you need to go out and win. But uh, the NBA is, has, has done a good job of taking what's a good product right now as far as, you know, an exciting product, three-pointers getting shot every seven to eight seconds, and then adding to it the drama factor, the soap opera factor. So the NBA has a lot of good momentum behind it right now. There it is. There's our list. Top ten NBA players to change teams. NBA officially starts tonight. Raptors and Pelicans right now, and later tonight, it's Clippers and Lakers. Now we're excited to be joined by former Husker and current Dallas Cowboys kicker, Brett Maher. Brett knocked down a long 60-plus yard field goal on Sunday night football against the Eagles, the third 60-plus yard field goal in his career. Dallas now 4-3, and three, leading the NFC East. And first off, Brett, thanks for taking the time tonight. And how you feeling heading into the bye week after beating the Eagles? Yeah, I feel good. You know, that was a big win for us this past week. Um, so that that uh, that helps the vibe and the mood uh, going into having a little tough week. We can uh, continue to get a little rest and get a little healthy and um, get ready for the home stretch here. You guys are seven weeks into the year. You're four and three, and you mentioned the big victory on Sunday night football, the win over the Eagles. You guys dominated uh, your traditional division rival. How how up was that locker room after you guys were able to finish off Philadelphia the other night? 
Yeah, that was a fun one to be in, that's for sure. Um, that was a good team win for us, offense, defense, uh, special teams played well as well. So um, that, uh, that was a fun one. Now, in that game, you hit a 63-yard field goal right before half, and uh, you've been made a knack, really, of hitting those long field goals. First off, just talk about that one. What's, what's going through your head as you're setting up to kick one of the longest field goals in NFL history? Uh, just hopefully hoping I can get the opportunity, to be honest with you. Um, the, the, that whole sequence was, uh, was really pretty outstanding with the defense getting a stop. Um, and then uh, the offense turned around and, and getting a good chunk of yardage in a short amount of time with only one timeout. And, uh, and then uh, Coach Garrett and Coach O'Quinn, our special teams coordinator, uh, having faith in me to, uh, to go out there and give it a rip and uh, was able to put it through. Now, you're the first NFL kicker to hit more than one 60-plus yard field goal in your career. Uh, anything in particular, any adjustments you make before you line up for a 60-yarder? Uh, you know, it, it's a long ways out there. And so just trying to find that fine line of, um, how hard can, how hard can you swing and still stay technically sound? Um, I think that's a challenge on, on ones from that far. Um, but that's getting, uh, that's getting pretty close to the outer limit for me. That's for sure. Chatting with Dallas Cowboys kicker and former Husker Brett Maher here on Sports Nightly. Uh, we mentioned your big field goal against the Eagles. You hit a couple on Sunday night football. Uh, you had missed a couple of kicks in the weeks before, thinking of a 33-yarder uh, that you missed against Green Bay and a field goal you missed in that close game at the Jets. How were you able to work through uh, those couple of misses and keep yourself on track to where you were a big part of that win over the Eagles on Sunday night. I just believe in my process and uh, keeping my head down, and um, you know, doing doing the stuff that I need to do during the week. Um, and really, I think it, it just comes down to to having a good process during the week. Um, and then, obviously, my support staff is um, is fantastic and, and helps with that as well. But um, just just getting back to work, and there's going to be ups and downs uh, every single year. It doesn't doesn't matter what your profession is really i think that's uh that's just a normal um a normal life thing um and just just stay in the course and uh believe in what you do and how you're doing it you mentioned keeping your head down and working and i gotta think that's been a real key for you you come out after the 2012 uh, season with nebraska you're signed by the jets in 2013 not able to stick on that roster uh you're briefly with the cowboys and then you're in the cfl for a while how were you able to just keep working and keep trying to build your game to where you could be an nfl kicker uh you know i think i think you hit it on the head there it's just it's work, uh, and it's it's constant trying to strive to, for constant improvement. Um, and and I think I looked at it as uh, trying to not take any uh, trying to not take any shortcuts, and uh, and trying to do it the right way. Had a setback with an injury in 2015, um, and you know was was able to uh, to come back from that and then continue uh, the same process. You know, it took me. Um, a lot of different ways to get to where I am now, but uh, it's been a great journey for me, and um, I can't wait to see uh, what the rest of my career has in store, too. 
You mentioned that injury in 2015. That was after your first year in the CFL. Were there any thoughts about uh, maybe giving up kicking, or, or were you still of the mindset that you were going to work your way back and, and see how far you could go uh, kicking the football? Uh, that that didn't cross my mind at that time. Um, I think I was still uh, young enough and felt like I could bounce back from it. Um, and you know, understand that I was fortunate to uh, to come back as quickly and as well as I did. Um, but at the same time, was never of the mindset that that was going to be um, that was going to be it for me either. Chatting with Dallas Cowboys kicker and former Husker, Brett Maher, here on Sports Nightly. You spent three years in the CFL. Uh, 2014, you had the hip injury in 15, and then 16 and 17, uh, you also kicked up in that league. That football is a little bit different. How, uh, how, how much of an adjustment period was there for you to get used to kicking in the Canadian League? Yeah. Uh, it was a little bit different. The game is a little different, faster pace, um, three down football, obviously, uh, the, the field, the dimensions are a little bit different, um, as well. So I, I think the pace was probably the biggest thing for me. Um, and then I did, uh, I punted and kicked off as well as kicked field goals. Um, but that was not as big as a transition since I had done that, um, at Nebraska as well. Uh, so I, w- I would say there's there's a few little nuances with the rules um, that took a little bit for me to get used to, but um, you know at the end of the day I guess it's it's still as simple as as kicking a football and it's still as hard as kicking a football at the, at the same time. Uh, obviously, being up in Canada, the weather turns there even more harshly than it does here in Nebraska. Do you remember the worst weather conditions you had to kick in? Um, I remember dealing with a lot of wind up there, uh, which is um, is tough. And I know Nebraskans are definitely used to that. Um, and we had we had some cold games. Um, nothing that was unbearably cold uh, for me when I was up there. I know that there uh, there are a good number of snow games. I I didn't uh, happen to get any of those when I was up there. We had. Um, games that would be in the 20s or 30s um, which is cold but when you're moving around you know it doesn't it doesn't seem quite as bad Um, but I remember the wind the wind probably being as big a factor as anything um, up there it's different too because the stadiums aren't quite as big and um, sometimes not quite as sheltered um, as we get down here in the states too so um, I I still think though the the worst weather game that I played in would have been uh, my senior year at Nebraska uh, when we played at the University of Iowa uh, and that was just bitterly cold and windy and um, and that was uh, that that ended up being a big win uh, for us that sent us to the Big Ten Big Ten championship game and I think that one still might take the cake for uh, for the worst weather game in my career. Yeah, you guys had to fight out hard at Kinnick to uh, to get the win and get the Big Ten West wrapped up. Uh, looking at coming back south, you were signed by the Cowboys before last season, the 2018 season. They had a established kicker in Dan Bailey on their roster. When they signed you, what was your mindset? Were you thinking, hey, I can go down there and compete for that job? Or were you trying to just put good tape out there so you could get a NFL job? What was your mindset going down to Dallas? Uh, kind of both, um, but a little bit of um, of what we kind of talked about earlier, just doing what I needed to do um, and, and 
showing the best I could each and every day um, and trying to take advantage of every single opportunity that I got, whether that was in practice, in preseason game, um, or anything like that. And, and that's a, it's a hard thing to, uh, to let go of, of stuff that you can't control and, and being okay with that. Uh, but I, I really felt if I, if I was prepared every day and I took advantage of, um, of those different situations that, um, that would be good enough somewhere. Um, and I, and I sure I'm glad that, uh, that it was good enough for me to stick around here. When you were told by, I'm sure, Jason Garrett or maybe your position coach, hey, you're going to be our kicker this year, how did you react? How did that go down? Uh, yeah, I was excited, obviously. Um, that was uh, something that you don't you don't really know how that day is going to go um, because I'm not, I'm not in the loop with those decisions, obviously. Um, but that was uh, that, that was a special moment for me and for my family and for my wife, um, Jenna and I, to uh, to share that phone call and um, definitely definitely one of the highlights of my career and something that's going to stick with me for a long time. Coming into this year, I'm sure you felt like uh, you were going to be the guy for Dallas. H- how much different did that feel, or did it feel different as you got ready for this year, knowing that you'd be the Cowboys' starting kicker? Um. Uh, a little bit different, but at the same time, it's the competition in this league is um, is pretty stout everywhere across the board. And even if it, even if there's not someone um, in training camp uh, with you that you feel threatened by, there's a ton of guys out there that uh, that are ready for their opportunity, much like I was uh, the past three or four years before I was here. So um, it's it's something that. Um, if you if you let off the gas a little bit, I think you can you're going to be exposed, um, and uh, and someone's going to be out there ready for their shot too. Now you come through the first seven weeks of the year, you guys four and three, and this is your bye week. Uh, any big plans for your week off uh, while you get some rest and get ready for the stretch run of the NFL season? Uh, not really, no. Um, yeah, try and stay healthy. I'm going to stay around this area. Uh, we're going to have a few people come down and visit us. Um, so we're excited uh, to catch up on some family time and uh, spend a little extra time with my wife and kids uh, while we're down here. And uh, that, that'll probably be about it for us. Well, enjoy your rest, and uh, we hope to see you making some more big kicks in the second half of the NFL season, and everybody back up here is uh, pulling for you and hoping you uh, continue to show out well. Good luck the rest of the year, Brett. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Back one final time on a Tuesday, Ben McLaughlin, Nate Rohr with you here on Sports Nightly. Been a fun night having uh, the World Series keep us company in the NBA as well, uh, Nate's going Astros in seven. I think, I think I'm going right there. I think I'm with you. That feels about right. I yeah. mean, these teams pretty well evenly matched. Great starting pitching on both sides. I think the Astros have a little better lineup top to bottom, but the Nats got a little mojo right now, and that this time of year can be as big a factor as any. Yeah, should be should be interesting to see how this thing plays out, especially with the pitching. That's it for us tonight. Thanks to our guests here on the show. Thanks to Brett Maher. That was a lot of fun. Good job on that. It was fun fun hearing from former Husker Brett Maher booting 60-yarders for the Dallas Cowboys. Thanks to head volleyball coach John Cook and Lauren Cook-West for hosting the Raskin Volleyball Radio Hour. Thanks to guys in the back. 
Brett Woody, Tim Curran. Tim participating in our Top 10 Tuesday here with us. Most of all, thanks to you for listening to us here on a Tuesday night. We're back with you tomorrow here on Sports Nightly with the voice of the Huskers. Greg Sharp will be back in the chair. We'll have a practice report. We'll have our Big Ten Blitz, and we'll recap tonight's game in the World Series with Lane Grindle, Major League Baseball insider. That's coming up tomorrow. Have a great night. Until tomorrow at 6.